All right, have a seat. Thank you so much. Uh, this morning, we want to uh, start this morning with the, the end of the story in mind. Uh, the story of the resurrection has a lot to do with the, it has everything to do with the death, burial, and then rising from the dead of our Savior Jesus. But uh, if we are honest with ourselves, it all hinges on that one moment, the resurrection. It's the, it's the one thing that everything is dependent on. If it wasn't for the resurrection, uh, we would be wasting our time uh, here at Bethel. We'd be, we might as well be doing something else because the resurrection is what gives us hope. So as we walk through this morning, my hope is that we have a deeper understanding of the implications of the resurrection. I think a lot of us within the church or a lot of us within Christianity have a tendency to whittle things down into one-line statements or cliches. We end up saying things that are very simple instead of truly investigating the depths and the mysteries of God. And the, the resurrection is one of those. We really have to think about the implications because if a man that was living died and rose from the dead, it's worth looking at because that means you and I have hope for the same. And that's the promise of God. Um, all of us deal with faith. Now, you may say I'm not a person of faith, and I think you mean probably religious or spiritual, but actually all of us are people of faith. Faith is what gets us through every single day. I mean, you get up out of bed, you go and you turn on the shower, and you expect with faith that water's going to come out. As long as you pay your bills, you have a well water, whatever it is, you expect the water to come out. You get in the car, you turn the ignition, you expect that car to start. That's a faith step. You sat in your car, you came down the street, and when you're coming to church today, all the crazy Easter goers are out there. You had faith, you trusted them that they weren't going to wreck while you were in front of them or beside them, right? That's a faith issue. Um, you came with the GPS possibly from far away. You trusted the voice telling you which ways to go. We live on faith every day, and, and when it comes to Jesus, the, the claim against our soul, that's where things get a little offensive, and we're going to actually talk about that today to bring ourselves into a faith alignment with Jesus and the resurrection. Now, we all deal with assumptions. If you come to a church, there's this expectation. I see some of you actually look nicer than I've ever seen you today. So there's this weird assumption that Easter's supposed to be different. You know, I'm supposed to put something else on. I've avoided the tie for a few years, so I'm like, oof, I paid that forward when I was a kid, so I'm done. Um, but some of you came in suits and ties. Maybe you should be speaking up here, right? Well, there's these assumptions and these codes of honor that are within faith and religion, and maybe even some assumptions about the object of faith that we all have to walk through. The thing about Jesus that he did, he came, and he actually breaks every single assumption. The religious leaders that came, uh, that were in charge of the day, had established a religious system, and Jesus come and actually stepped right in the middle of it and broke it apart, and it offended them in a great way. And so Jesus actually breaks all assumptions. He is one of the most controversial and most dramatic people and most hum uh, dramatic humans in history. If you look at his story, he captivates the hearts of admirers and haters. Everybody is captivated by this one image, this man, this human that actually did exist, a human that actually did live, a human that actually did suffer and did actually die. The suffering Savior is a true person that actually lived, and he actually did raise from the dead. That's what we're celebrating today. That's what we're recognizing. So we want to start at the end today. He came on a mission from God. He came to serve. He came to love. And our world today, if we look around, really needs more service and love, if we're honest. Let's look in John chapter 19. 
in verse 28. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you have the Bible app on a smartphone, you can go. All the, the notes will be there. And then um, also we'll have them here on screen. But there in John chapter 19, verse 28, it says, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked it in a sponge, a sponge in it. Uh, they put it on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Scripture says in that moment that Jesus actually died. He stepped into death. It is finished. This, this word, we have it translated into three words in English, it is finished. It's actually one word in the original language, and that one word is probably the most powerful word in all of Scripture, in my opinion, because it has a lot of weight on it. It means that whatever he came to accomplish actually was finished. Um, we've done a lot of work here in the building. We've done a lot of work. And it's, the thing about our job is it's never over. I mean, if, you have a, if you're accounting, if you're an accountant, you're a CPA, tomorrow you're like, oof, it's finished. Actually, no, because next year you're going to do it all again. But this actual point in history, Jesus said it is finished, and it means eternally finished. It's done. There's nothing else that needs to be done. And it says right there that, as the outsiders, as they were looking, the religious leaders, and even us 2,000 years later, kind of look at this situation and we're kind of mesmerized by it because it's hard to look away from trauma. It's hard to look away from chaos. And so we're looking at the cross and we're seeing the suffering Savior and we're seeing this man that, is he innocent? Is he guilty? Uh, surely he's guilty. Otherwise, why would they hang him there? Why would the Romans torture and kill him? And we, we kind of get lost in the story, but we need to pause and think, oh man, this is a huge point in history. Why is he there if he's not guilty? This scene doesn't make sense to us in a personal way because it's a stranger hanging on a cross and brutally killed by the Roman Empire in the most brutal way. Verse 38, Afterward, Joseph of Mary Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take Jesus' body down. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. Well, that's it. End of story. It's over. And yet, we have the benefit of seeing what comes. We wouldn't be focused on this man if that was the end of the story. There's many people that have died before him and after him. There's many people that have actually laid their lives down for other people, even in our country. We have lots of people that have gone after and before Jesus that have died. So what makes Jesus so different. Uh, people have laid their lives down for others. People have been abused by government since, and, and since then and before then. But many people have made a mark on humanity, but none like this man, because there was a difference. Number one, he claimed to be God. Number two, he claimed to be this Messiah, this Savior that was expected, was waited for, and he claimed to be a messenger from God to humanity. And this man actually walked out alive of the grave. That sets him apart of everyone else. It's not only did he say it is finished, he meant the actual reconnecting with God. The last puzzle piece in the story of history. A little line that was drawn in the sand, and there's a choice that needs to be made. And this choice is yours, and this choice is mine. It's a total choice. This, this moment that we're at right now in the, in the story is that it's finished. He's died, a suffering Savior. He's on the cross, and then he's buried. What now? There's this dramatic move on the third day, this dramatic moment in the narrative 
where Jesus walks out of the grave. Now, uh, if you're with me, and, and maybe this is more guys than girls, but there's this skepticism to this whole thing, and you're like, yeah, right. That's some other explanation for this. And truth be told, if you read Scripture, there's actually a group of women that were the ones that met the risen Savior first. They were the first ones to announce his coming. They were the first ones to announce his arrival back, and they were the ones full of faith. And so it's a strange twist of events because in the course of history, we kind of forget women's role. And women, uh, those of you that are here today, those of you that convinced your family and husbands and kids and everybody to get ready to come to church, congratulations. You guys did a great job. What happens is women seem to be more sensitive to spiritual things than guys. Guys need a little more convincing, and I think what we can learn from this section of the story is maybe we should listen a little more, all right? Those of you that wore the peep shirts, congrats, guys. I mean, come on. You guys listen. Okay. <laughs> You're like, I'm duped. Okay, whatever. But here's the thing is there's this moment in the narrative where these women with hope went to the grave, and they met Jesus. And they ran and told Peter, and he's like, yeah, right, and he's running back to the, to the grave with John, and they find an empty tomb. It's dramatic. It's like his resurrection changed the whole course of history. If one man could actually rise from the dead, that means the rest of us have hope for the same resurrection. That's what it means. He is a human that rose from the dead, and this very human is now in the presence of the Father. We have hope as well for resurrection. If there's no resurrection, we are all wasting our time here. We might as well pack up and go home and do something better with our time because it's the resurrection where everything is hinged. This is actually an authority Thing. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21. It says, see you then, uh, So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has been brought, or begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam or we're simply human, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After the end will come, then he will turn the kingdom. It's a kingdom issue. It's a government issue. He'll turn it over to the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. This is not a human thing, so don't get us wrong here. He actually says right here, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. That's where it is, is the death that comes after us all. Jesus conquered that. So Jesus is the king of life, and he's the conqueror of death. Jesus invites us to be citizens in his kingdom. This is not exclusive invitation. This actually is opened for everyone that believed to walk in and accept the king of kings. So here's where we are in the story, in the narrative. We have a suffering Savior who was crucified on the cross. He was in a, a tomb, and then now the tomb's empty, and he's in heaven, and he's by the right hand of the Father, and he's waiting, and he has an invitation. It's a, it's a moment in the narrative that's really crucial because this is the part that we kind of get to be part of it. We get to have part of this story. And, and I think there's a, the question that we need to ask is, does anybody like to be dependent? Do you like to be dependent on other people? Not really. It's kind of in our nature to be independent. It's in our nature to, to say, we're going to do it ourselves. My daughter, when she was growing up, she had this little phrase that she would say. We'd walk up and we'd say, can we help you? No, my do it, my do it. And she was like, itty bitty. She wanted to be independent. That's the, that's the nature of humanity is to do it on our own. And so we don't like to need others. We like to be fighting for total independence and be self-sufficient. That's the, the nature of humanity. But one of the implications of Jesus' death and his resurrection is that we need him. And this is the most offensive part of the story because we can't do what he did. 
We're not able in our own power to accomplish what he, what he accomplished. And so this offends us because we want to be independent. We don't want to need him. So as we consider the life and the implications of the truth claims of Jesus, our tendencies as humans is to rebel and reject what he's offering, which is a free entrance into his home, into, his, into heaven with him. So as we decide, along the way, he kind of sends signals for us to see how truly dependent we are. Have you ever tried to go out, uh, maybe you're at the beach, and you try to stop a wave from coming in? It's useless. You, you, you're, it's, it's, um, you're not going to be able to. Uh, if you go outside and try to control the weather, a better way yet, try to control your kids in Walmart at the checkout. Yeah, you have a better chance of the weather. Right, that's right, Joel. It's a, there are so many things out of our control that if we step back and realize that we're like, oh, I really don't have control. And actually, anybody that had the illusion of control, it was wiped away two years ago. We are not in control. With pandemics and weather and earthquakes and politics, there's just, we're out of control. There's nothing that we control. And so we get difficult and we realize that, hey, this is really going to be complicated. We have an option. And when it comes to Jesus, we have some clear options. The first thing we can do is ignore him and act like he's just a fraud and just another human and he's just another person. We could also isolate ourselves from him like we heard a call from him and we say, yeah, I'm just going to reject it. I'm not going to accept it. We can try it alone. This is what the majority of humanity does. We're going to make our own way, make our own path. And then we can realize our need and actually realize our dependence on him. He's inviting us into the story. And this is where we are in the narrative is that he will actually invite us in. And I don't know if any of you have ever been lost, mainly guys. I mean, if we're ever lost, we never admit it ever. It's like we're driving. We have a tank full of gas. I'm not lost. What are you talking about? Where are you going? Scenic route. We're doing the scenic route. Anybody ever done that? Okay, it's just me. I mean, come on, guys. It's like I don't like to admit that I'm lost, especially to my wife. First time uh, I got in the car with her after we got married. It was our honeymoon. We're driving in Central America. I was as lost as could be. Well, she didn't know that. I spoke the language. I was driving the car. She had no clue. A few days later, I said, man, I was lost. <laughs> it was, we, there was no GPS back there, no smartphone. It was like, oh, okay. But we can't be found until we've been lost. And this is, the, this is the narrative that's uncomfortable because I don't like to admit that. I don't like to admit these things. And some of us are lucky enough to stumble upon the truth. And some of us are more hard-headed and we don't. We have nothing to offer. The Son of God actually reaches down and lifts us up. This is probably the most difficult part to accept. There's a narrative in Mark that just illustrates it perfectly. I want to read it to you. Uh, in Mark chapter 10, it says, Then they, le they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, you would think that the crowd would be like, oh, yeah, Jesus can do something. Nope. Be quiet. Many of the people yelled at him, and he only shouted louder. David, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called him, and they said, cheer up. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus' simple question. And the answer was, Rabbi, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you healed. And instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. 
And here, here's what's happening is the world is so noisy, it's telling you to be quiet. In your search for Jesus, in your search for truth, in your search for hope, the whole world is saying, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. And yet Jesus, in all the chaos, hears, and he breaks through the chaos, and he says, hey, come here. Cheer up. Cheer up. Come here. Maybe the enemy has distracted you with pain and hurt and life. Maybe, quote-unquote, good people have walked away from you. Maybe you've been hurt or abandoned by the community, by friends, family, or maybe even the church. Today, I'd like to tell you to cheer up because Jesus is actually calling you. Jesus wants you to come home. Jesus invites you in with open arms, and his homecoming is one with zero guilt and zero shame. It's actually a homecoming of all celebration and all joy. When we lived out of the country, um, probably one of the hardest things that we experienced was being away from our fr- family and friends. And, and every so once, every once in a while, we'd feel this tug in our heart to go home. So we'd come home, and it's the coolest thing. We'd get to the airport, and my in-laws would be waiting for us, and my little kids would run. They'd embrace them. They were home. This is the attraction to Jesus right here. It's a homecoming. It's our homecoming. I mean, the narrative is the suffering Savior, the cross, the empty tomb. He's in heaven. He's waiting. And now we're at this point where you have to make a decision. There's a choice that you need to make. But, but here's the key. The Father does it all. And, and unless we think that we have a part in the narrative, here, here's what I want you to see. And it's actually... A tale of the oldest time in Psalm chapter 3, verse 1. The Father actually will lift our head. It says there, O Lord, I have so many enemies. So many are against me. So many are saying God will never rescue him. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory, the one who holds my head high. I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy mountain. Here's the deal with the relationship and the resurrection of Jesus. It actually comes with a promise. It's not a lack of problems, but it's a promise of his presence. This is what the promise is, is he will be with us forever. The moment we step into a relationship with him, he will never forsake us. He is our home. Not only does he want to welcome you into his family, but he also wants to give you hope and joy for the life you live. And what we do is we cry out to him for answers, and he lifts our head. So the narrative continues, and really the invitation is here for you. There's this, this idea of homecoming. We're in this like weird in-between stage, not yet, but now. Every time someone says yes, the kingdom comes. Every time you open your heart to him, he actually comes, and he welcomes home. Knowing, that, knowing Jesus is really just the beginning stages of understanding the mysteries of God. And I think a lot of people get stuck in the in the, the beginning of Jesus, and they don't really ever explore the divine mysteries of what it means to follow God through the rest of your life, kind of settling the thing of faith and trusting the finished work of Jesus, the, the eternal celebration of homecoming. John gives us a glimpse into the, to what's coming, and he gives us a glimpse into the eternal homecoming of the Father. I'd like to read it for you there in Revelation chapter 21. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Three, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, 
God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one who sits on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. Once again, the most powerful declaration in the universe. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will freely give from the springs of the waters of life. And all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. So we're back where we started. It is finished. I'm curious what you're chasing after these days. What, what is it that fills your time and your energy and your attention? What, what's that unsatisfying part of your heart that you're trying to fill? What burdens are you carrying that you can't seem to shake? My question today is, you've tried it all. Why not try Jesus? Why not follow Jesus? Why not open your heart to the possibility that Jesus is who he says he is? Why not come home? The, the story of God welcoming people home and his children home has been going on for millennia. It's going on for a long time. It's an old story, and yet it's brand new. You're invited simply to come home. I'd like to pray for you this morning before we wrap up. God, this morning it is a, an honor to share with my friends, family, God, people that are coming because of their family members and God guests. We know that everything happens with a purpose, and then even things that seem by, like chance, you have your hand on. God, this morning I pray that as we think about the suffering Jesus, the, the man who went to the cross, who was buried, and then miraculously walked out, as we think about him and the, the invitation of the Father to come home, my prayer is that this morning we would acknowledge our hearts, we'd acknowledge where we are truly, and say, yeah, I, I'm, I've been chasing everything and I need to come home. And with no guilt or shame, you're opening your arms wide and saying, come on. Jesus, we're grateful for that day that you walked out of the grave. Because of that, we have hope. Because of that, I have hope. Because of that, my friends have hope. That Jesus, the first among many, they walked out of the grave. We are eternally grateful. Before we close, I just consider there in your hearts, have you said yes to Jesus? Do you need to say yes to Jesus? Maybe the day is the day that you open your life and you let Jesus be a part of it. He'll never force you. He's a gentle Savior. Jesus, we love you. Thank you once again for today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.